Titus, book of Titus, chapter number one. Been teaching right through the book of Titus here. Titus, chapter number one. Glad you came out this morning. A little bit more like winter without the snow. It's been uh, so balmy out. Titus chapter 1. Had a great time yesterday with uh, those who came out on the streets of Tawas. Passed out right about, I think we figured about 530 of those packets that had chick tracks and had uh, candy. Uh, chocolate, you know what I mean, and uh, hot cocoa, and uh, but it was a good, definitely a good time. And if you would, uh, between now and the morning service, just just pray every now and then. Say, Lord, uh, bring someone out, because in there was a, an invite to come to church this morning. And and I know you invite people all week long. Some of you do, and uh, they never come. <laughs> but keep doing it. Amen. Let's keep inviting them. They need the Lord. They need to be saved. All right, Titus chapter 1. I'll pick up here in verse 12. Brother Brian, would you ask the Lord's help in the teaching this morning? Amen. Amen. Verse number 12 here in the book of Titus chapter 1. The Bible says, one of themselves... Even a prophet of their own said, The Cretans are always, I'm sorry, always liars, evil beasts, slow bellies. That is your uh, verse of positivity for this morning. I'm glad you could uh, be started off on that. He's talking about people in the, I'll be funny, the first Bible Believers Baptist Church of Crete. And they've got a problem. Uh, and they're lazy. Amen? That does typify a number of Christians these days. They're lazy. I know the world wants you to tell you that, boy, you're somebody and you're special and everyone gets a trophy. But a lot of people in the body of Christ are lazy and Paul's calling it right out. This is, by the way, this is uh, what you would call real preaching where he just calls it out. Um, now, look, we know that lost people are going to hell. And like the old preacher said, uh, we need to tell people that, but we don't need to tell them, like, we're the guy running the joint. Amen? <laughs> so, but Christians are lazy. Amen? Oh, there you have it. <clears throat> One of the prophets of their own said, The Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, slow bellies. This witness is true, verse 13. Wherefore, rebuke them sharply. It didn't say give them a safe space, shut the lights off. You know what I mean? Rebuke them sharply. You know what you need a lot of times in the Christian life? You just need a sound rebuke. That's what you need that they may be sound in the faith. Now again, you know this, Paul's referencing Christians, and this rebuke isn't to repent or to get right, but this rebuke is to be given sharply that they may be sound in the faith. Now you need to grab a hold of this because a sharp rebuke comes from a sharp sword. Have you ever listened to preach, and I hate to ask this question, I know you have, I know you've been bored and you've turned on the, the, the Total Baloney Network, amen, TBN, and they have up there in their... Hey man, I call it out, you know. And they're in their $3,000 Armani suits, and they're like, we're so glad you came to visit us today, and we hope that Jesus will be present. And just, you ever notice how mushy it is? And there's nothing sharp said? I'm not talking about being perverse. I'm not talking about being a jerk. I'm, there's nothing sharp said. Why? 
They ain't got a sword. They got a banana peel. <laughs> and they're slipping on that thing going right to hell on a rocket. I'm, there's, no, there's no sharpness. There's no... Uh, you know, I've been doing lately, I've been listening to some of them old Billy Graham messages. You say, well, he was a compromise. I'll tell you what, I, I know at the end of his life, he was uh, shaking hands with the Pope and shaking hands with the Muslims and the, what do you call them, uh, fellers that cross their legs. Anyways, and all that stuff overseas and all that, and he was really hobnob with people that you probably and I wouldn't hobnob with. But I'm going back to the 50s and 60s and looking at some of them videos where he's packing out almost 100,000 at a stadium, and that old boy had it on him. I mean, just, I mean, he'd talk like a fan. There was such authority, and he'd preach in the Bible, preaching right from that King James Bible, and he'd get up there and he'd preach a 30-minute sermon, and then he'd say this, Now I'd like to ask you to come receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. You know, out of hills of North Carolina, and here they come by the hundreds. But it was sharp. And, uh, but this rebuke here is not to get right or to repent. It's just that sharp rebuke. It's to be sound in the faith. And Christians, unfortunately, you and I need a rebuke. And it has to come from a sharp sword. You ever cut yourself with something sharp? You ever cut yourself with a razor blade? Man, about bleed half to death, you know what I mean? And then you cut yourself on something jagged. That's a mess, ain't it? You need a sharp rebuke from a sharp sword. Uh, the sharper it is, the cleaner it will heal. You know, the Bible says there in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, for the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the hearts. That's where that rebuke has to come from. But look at Isaiah chapter 49. We're in just a few passages this morning. Uh, those in Crete needed a rebuke. You and I, from time to time, are going to need a rebuke. And what happens in our generation is nobody wants to be rebuked anymore we all want to be told how good we are. And believe it or not, if you get upset when you get rebuked, or if, you get, uh, if you're real thin-skinned uh, when someone tells you something of a critical nature, it just shows how much pride is really inside of you. And you have to ask yourself, why do I get so worked up over that stuff? But Isaiah chapter 49, if you look at verse 2, the Bible says, And he hath made my mouth... Like a sharp sword. You say, ain't that the truth? Some people just cut you to pieces. Amen, they do. And you can overdo the thing, but if you, you ought to be a little bit salty. Your speech around other people ought to be a little bit sharp at times. And he hath made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand he hath hid me and made me a polished shaft and his quiver hath he hid me. And this sword that the Lord's given you, you realize that this is the sword right here. We're singing that song. How's that? What was that one of that last ones with the high praises of God in our mouth and a two edge? Now that thing is a practical application of Israel's genocide. Now we're not going to take out a katana sword and walk them down Main Street and hack people to pieces. <laughs> it's stupid, you know what I mean? But it's a spiritual application, right? Here's your sword, and you got uh, You got to have a sharp one. And sometimes uh, you say, well, uh, that doesn't seem to work for me. It's because you don't read it. By you reading it, it sharpens. The Bible says that iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. So you have to sharpen one another. You sharpen yourself by reading the book. But this sword is meant to draw blood. How many believe that this morning? Look at Isaiah, I'm sorry, Jeremiah 48. I'll prove it to you. I'll prove it to you. I'm glad I have a Bible that doesn't need updating. 
Um, <coughs> uh, even yesterday, I'm uh, trying to type some notes up, and I get this little, I'm so OCD, it, it, it's ridiculous. There's this little uh, uh, icon, a badge on an app, you know what I mean, you know what I'm saying? Uh, I turn it off for text and email and everything. I don't want to see if I got a text. I, it's, it's not confession, but it is, you know. But uh, on this one, it still comes true. My computer needed to update, and it just bugged me because it was there, and it doesn't go away. And I'm typing, and I'm seeing this, and I'm just bugged by it. But I'm glad I have a Bible that doesn't need to be updated. Amen? It doesn't need any help. It doesn't need to be rewritten. Amen? Just reread. But uh, here in uh, uh, Jeremiah chapter 48, look what it says. Cursed be he that doeth the work of the Lord deceitfully, and cursed be he that keepeth back his, you see that? Sword from blood. So when you uh, believe the Bible and you use the Bible like you should use it, it will draw blood. It's a two-edged sword and it's sharp. And you can always tell a sharp sword from a dull one, amen? And what Paul says back here in Titus chapter 1 verse 13 is that these Cretans are supposed to be rebuked sharply that they may be sound in the faith. So what you need to understand is a child of God is someone part of a local church, amen, is the rebuking is never a big me or little and a little you kind of thing. That's never, that's never what that's all about. Uh, half the time when your parents rebuked you, it's because, well, first of all, you had it coming, <laughs> right? And they wanted to change something about your character. They wanted to change something about you. So when the Lord rebukes you, he'll use a man to do it, amen? And he'll use the Bible as the means for the rebuke. Now look at uh, Titus 1.14. He says, uh, Not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men that turn... From the truth, I'll read it again. Not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men that turn from the truth. That's rituals. A lot of churches these days got a bunch of stinking rituals. A lot of traditions that are not Bible. Uh, ritual sacraments. How about relics? I mean, about as ritualistic as we get is a Tootsie Rule offering. And we're going to step out of dispensations and change the contents <laughs> <laughs> and we'll have, to have some chocolate in there today. <laughs> uh, relics, religious stuff, uh, and Paul says you're not to give heed to them. It says that stuff, look at it, it turns you from what? The truth. When you get hung up with those Jewish relics and rituals and commandments of men, that stuff turns you. And uh, you say, why does it turn you? There's something about religion that men like to get a hold of. There's something about it that uh, makes a man feel good like he did something. And you got to watch that. Look at verse 15. Unto the pure all things are pure, but unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure, but even their mind and conscience is defiled. Now you got to understand here in this passage here, just because you don't see certain things are in fact wrong, uh, just because you don't think something is wrong, or just because you might say, well, I don't feel convicted by this or that, uh, is it really right or wrong to take part in it? That's the question here. Read again. Under the pure, all things are pure. But unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure. But even their mind and conscience is defiled. So you got a bunch of Christians out there that proclaim that they're saved. They love the Lord and they're saved, blood washed and head to heaven. And they go around and they say this. Well, you know, 
That's your opinion. I just don't think it's not wrong to do that. And so now nothing is pure to that Christian because a Christian defiles his conscience and his mind. And his mind is blinded by the God of this world. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4. You know why most people don't think it's uh, wrong to do certain things that are definitely wrong according to the Bible? Because they're blind as a bat flying in backwards. You ever wonder how you get to that conclusion? I mean, you don't have to say, uh, you don't have to agree. Um, I'm kind of preaching rhetorically. But have you not, has the Lord not changed your mind over the years on things and things that you thought were okay? You're like, yeah, I probably better not do that. You ever wonder why you didn't come to that conclusion earlier? It's because you're blind. I mean, you should be growing in grace, Amen. You should be, uh, as the older we get, we should, uh, we should be drawn closer to Jesus Christ as uh, saved individuals and not going the other way. We should not be more permissive. Amen. We should be drawn closer to Him. Why? We've been around longer. And you ever just wonder why you, uh, you don't do now what you would permit 20 years ago if you were saved then? That's because you're blind. You know, Paul, Peter says, grow in grace, right? you got to grow into that stuff. Growth takes time. Uh, how, I mean, I don't know how long cats, when they're around, they're blind for, what, first nine weeks, eight weeks? I don't know, what it, whatever it is. <laughs> I wonder if you'd throw a kitten down the stairs. Would it land on his leg with its eyes closed? <laughs> okay, we just went totally off the rails with that, but anyways. <laughs> 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. Bible says, in whom the God of this world, that's the devil. See the small g? Whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. So you know why a Christian is blinded these days? Uh, I'll give you a couple things. Look at Ephesians 4 9. He's blinded by ignorance. He's blinded by ignorance. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 18. Turn do a little bit of turning here, give you some stuff. You've heard the old saying, well, what I, what I don't know won't hurt me, right? You know what that is? That's ignorance. Uh, it doesn't mean you're stupid. It just means you don't know. Amen. Blinded through ignorance. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 18, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through ignorance. Ignorance that is in them. You know, a lot of times we're hard on the lost people. We just say, wow, they're wicked as hell and they're, they're no good. Well, they're just ignorant. They don't know. And a lot of times we think that because they don't know, they don't want to know. That's not the truth. I had no negative out there yesterday on the street. I had people that didn't want it, but they weren't jerks about it. Can I just tell you that a lot of people are lost in Osco County because they're just ignorant. They're not stupid. Many of them are more dedicated in their work and studies than you are. <laughs> Amen? <laughs> they're just ignorant. So they're blind. So what do we have inside of us? Jesus Christ. The light of the world is Jesus, right? So we go out there, and all of a sudden there's a bunch of spotlights, about 5,000 lumens shining, and that's why you get to, oh, we don't want that. <laughs> Why? Men love darkness rather than light. And you go out there and you give them the gospel of Jesus Christ, and you're like, why do they care about me? Isn't it interesting that the drunk people yesterday were the ones that said, God bless you? 
come with you. <laughs> right? I don't know. It's like the devil's no man. <laughs> and uh, his mind is blinded by ignorance. Not only that, but uh, his mind is blinded by ignorance. But in Matthew 15, 18 to 20, his mind has been polluted by his heart. Look at Matthew 15. Ignorance. And polluted by his heart. You ever stop and reason the way you think about something? Because that's the way your heart's set on it. That's the way your heart's set on it. Matthew chapter 15. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 15 verse 18, But those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart. Uh, the same lips that say good morning beautiful is the same lips that will curse. Right? The same lips that will say something nice and kind to somebody is the same things that will sow discord among brethren. But those things that proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart. Oh, I, I slipped. You know, oh, I didn't mean to say that. But Yeah, but your heart did. <laughs> you might not have, but your heart did. <laughs> and they defile the man. You see that? Now, some people think that rolling around in the farmer's field after he spread fertilizer, they think, oh, that's pretty bad stuff. You know, I defile a man. But it's your heart that defiles you. But look at 19. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts. Murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man. You notice how King James Bible just clears up your thinking right there? It just, just lays it right out there. It says exactly what it is. But to eat with unwashing hands defileth not a man. <laughs> and since a man speaks out of the abundance of his heart, right? The tongue then becomes the instrument to defile the mind. Look at James chapter 3. A man speaks out of the abundance of his heart. The old illustration is like this. If you, uh, whatever you're full of, you're like a vessel. And whatever it is that you're filled up on, when you get bumped, what you're full of spills out. So if you're filled with yourself and you get jarred in life, you come out. But if you're filled with the Holy Spirit and you're filled with the Bible and you're filled with Jesus Christ, you're filled with prayer, then Jesus Christ gets bumped out. You see that? James chapter 3, verse 2, For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man and able, to bridle, uh, able also to bridle the whole body. Behold, we put bits in the horse's mouth that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. Behold also the ships, which uh, th though they be so great and are driven of fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small helm. That's your, that's your rudder. Whethersoever the governor listeth, even so the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body and setteth on fire the course of nature, and is set on fire of hell. Uh, now this thing about being defiled, it sure is quite a thing. And uh, what defiles a man comes out of his heart. What ends up defiling a man is his tongue. Uh, and uh, you live in a day and age where things are no longer black and white. I don't know, for whatever it's worth, when I was a kid, back in the 80s, things were, things were pretty black and white. You might think the same way about your childhood, I don't know. But it was like you could do that, and there was no way on God's green earth you were going to do that. 
it's what it is. And, uh, but in the day and age you and I live in, it's this mushy kind of gray matter. You're like, well, you know, it's a, maybe it's, a, it's, it's not a big deal, you know. We'll just let the kids do it and have their, that's hedonism, remember? Uh, but uh, look at Romans chapter 14 just for a second. Talking about this thing about being defiled. Romans 14 and verse 14. Paul says, I know and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself. But to him that esteemeth anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. And Paul makes a great deal of this thing over in 1 Corinthians 8 and 10. Paul's careful to tell those that think they're pure that just because you see nothing wrong with an action does not give you the right to partake of it. You've got you to keep that in mind. That's the truth. Let's get back to this thing in Titus chapter 1 here. Well, there's a lot that could be said about being defiled and about your conscience and the manners of being defiled. It comes down to your heart and it comes down to your tongue. And if you find yourself okay with things you weren't okay with a number of years back, you, there's something wrong with your conscience. And the only way that you repair your conscience is by taking that book and getting inside of you every single day. That trues your compass up. Amen? That trues up your compass. Only way you and I are going to get through this life with a good conscience that's not shot is to have a regular diet of this book, a constant diet. Not just a dutiful diet, but a desirous diet. You want to be in it. You want, you want that book to change you. You say, well, that's kind of corny. No, it's not, man, because the more I read these blessed pages, the more I fall in love with the Rock of Ages. And I tell you what, there are certain things that trip me up and get me going in life, but the more I read this book, those desires seem to go away. And if they come back, I know I ain't been in the book like I should have been. Verse 15, the Bible says, But unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure, but even their mind and conscience is defiled. Look at 16. They profess that they know God. So the good chance they're unsaved, no spiritual life whatsoever. Then it says, but in works they deny him, being abominable and disobedient, and unto every good work reprobate. When they're put to the test, they fail. You say, why? They're reprobate, Paul says. And you've got to remember and try, try to relate this. Here's the illustration. What you have today is the charismatic movement. The charismatic movement, the John the Baptist of the Antichrist. And it's filled with a bunch of reprobates. They're lost. You say, what a cruel thing to say. It's what it is. And they imitate apostolic gifts that went away in the book of Acts chapter 28. And they think because they have these mystical powers, which they don't, and if they do have any power, it ain't coming from God, it's coming from a devil. Uh, I'm telling you what, they think because they can do this thing and Ostalashandai and untie a bow tie and sell a Nissan and sell a Honda and all that stuff, you know, they can jibber jabber and all that, they got some kind of power. But uh, they, they can't, when you put them on the racks, they're reprobate. They're reprobate against all good works. Every good work reprobate, it says in verse 16. So every time you put them to the test, they fail. And this is the day and age you and I live in. And as Paul winds up chapter 1, he says they're reprobates, and that's the truth for sure. And that puts the, the final closing pin there on chapter 1. We go right into chapter 2. And as he uh, winds up chapter 1, he ends on a real positive note, doesn't he? He calls them reprobates. <laughs> I mean, I'll tell you what, you've got to realize in the Christian life, a lot of 
preaching and a lot of Christianity is negative. And it's important for you to always remember that because this world is always shoving positive down your throat. And they throw such positive, so it makes you want to throw up. Now, look, I like a hug from my wife, amen, and I like positivity, but I'm telling you what, the positivity hasn't done much for my life. <laughs> Every time the devil saunters up and says, hey, hey, big, strapping, handsome guy there, you're, you're number one today. And I'm like, you better believe I am. Say that again. <laughs> Tell me how good I am. The devil does that to you too. He's not going to admit it, amen. Yeah, amen. <laughs> And every time I get hooked up with that positive stuff, I get in trouble. Trouble. <laughs> the worst thing, you know, you, you, you've heard it said before, there's a guy at work, everyone works with him, and he thinks he's pretty good, right? And then management, for whatever reason, opens their big fat mouth and tells him that. And now he believes it. <laughs> you see what I mean? And you know what? That, that, that employee is worthless. Amen. Just worthless. And you know why it is? Because someone was positive and told him he was subject to something. You show up and sober. and Yeah, you show up and you breathe and walk and chew gum at the same time. Give him the keys to the store. Good grief. <laughs> and here in chapter 2, uh, look at verse 1 here. The Bible says, but speak thou the things which become sound doctrine." And so Paul, what he's going to do is going to show you the things that become sound doctrine. Now listen, sound doctrine is not just correct biblical teaching about biblical topics like salvation, amen, uh, heaven, hell, demons, angels. I would say demons because devils, whatever. You know what I'm talking about. It's not just the correct Bible teaching, but you know what it also is? It's also prophecy. Sound doctrine is also prophecy. Sound doc doctrine is also ethics and moral conduct. And you're going to see it in this chapter. And this King James Bible is a book of life, and it deals with every aspect of life. So we often use that word doctrine just because we're dealing with biblical correct teaching that so many cults and so many other groups are teaching falsely. But it has more to do with just biblical teaching on doctrinal topics. All right, it deals with practical applications of life. Sound doctrine deals with historical applications of life. And when he talks about sound doctrine here in this chapter, any field of the believer's life, he's going to show you what's true and what's not true. Amen? Uh, some of you, uh, uh, you're, you're trying to figure out what candidate is worth shooting sideways and which one is not. <coughs> Good luck with that, Amen. But I'm so glad that I have a Bible that tells me the right and the wrong. And uh, you, ever, you ever try to figure out whether someone's telling you the truth politically? Uh, am I allowed to say this? It's a crapshoot. It really is. That kind of shoot. I'm not talking about it. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? It's just a joke. You, you don't know whether he's cooked the facts, cooked the figures, right? The old saying goes, uh, figures lie and liars figure. You can't tell whether or not he's telling the truth. The only thing you're dealing with in America at the poll booth is popular opinion. That is run by the God of this world. That's the devil himself. But I'm telling you what, you see here in Titus chapter 2, not only that, and all throughout this book, what you have is a book that tells you specifically right from wrong. That's sound doctrine, all right? A 2-1, but speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. 
that the aged men be sober. All right, so it's going to kick the thing right off. And, uh, you know, they say ladies first. Well, not here. <laughs> it's, it's old men, right? Aged men, be sober. That's not getting drunk, right? Amen. I just want to make sure we understand what sober means. That's not getting drunk. That's not mad or insane. N nuts. <laughs> that's not wild or visionary. And that's not heat. I, I, I'm just trying to let it sink in this morning because a lot of times in Sunday school we're all tired. I don't want to put you into a coma. Uh, he says sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith and charity and patience. So Paul is dealing with the aged men. And uh, he says they're to be grave. You know what that is? That's commanding respect. Uh, the old men, they ought to command respect. They ought to command it with their demeanor. Amen? They ought to command it with their actions. Uh, Serious-minded. You know what this country needs? Old men that love God that they can look up to. Amen. The old men. Amen. <laughs> <coughs> Uh, their mind needs to be set on eternity, not on earthly things. The thing about the old man, if they're to be grave and temperate, Paul's like, look, not overdone, but balanced. Balanced. Uh, the longer a man lives, he should uh, unfortunately make the mistakes that he makes, seize the error, make the correction, and by the time he's an older man, he should be balanced. Balanced. And in uh, our circle, that's a difficult thing to find. I mean, most of us are jacked up one way or the other. We're like bouncing out the windows, blowing up like a firecracker, or cold as a pile of whatever on the floor over there. You know, not balanced though. <clears throat> and uh, then he's talking about, uh, he says, sound in faith and charity and patience. And those, uh, those things are self-explanatory there. So with age, you know what? Brings common sense. <laughs> Amen. I mean, the older you get, the more common sense you get. And let me say this. You need to realize today that God is not in anything that doesn't make good common sense. Amen? God's not in anything that don't make good common sense. In some of your new Bibles, uh, they get all crazy and nutty here, and they change that thing to sober-minded instead of sober. You see that? Some new Bibles like the NIV, the ESV, the ASV, the NASV, they change it to sober-minded. But you need the entire definition of sober. That's why the King James translators put it in there. Because not only does it mean not drunk, it means you need to be balanced and you need to be serious. All right, then it says temperate. Temperate. I think you know what that means. That's self-control. Self-control. That's hard to have self-control when you're younger, ain't it? Not an excuse not to, right? The Bible says in Proverbs 25, 28, He that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city broken down and without walls. You know why? No self-control. No rule. That's Under Armour's. That when they first start, I don't know what it is now. I don't know if they changed it. Under Armour's uh, Logan, slogan <laughs> was uh, rule yourself. Rule yourself. I wonder if we as Christians just ruled ourselves. I think we'd get something done for the Lord, wouldn't we? Self-control. You need self-control, not overdone. Faith, charity, patience, like I said, all self-explanatory. And if you want a good case of conviction, like who doesn't want any of that this morning, amen, 
uh, you can read 1 Corinthians chapter 13 about charity. That'll give you the skinny on charity. It'll show you how far we are from this Bible. Now here in uh, verses 3 to 5, he shifts gears away from the uh, aged men, and he's going to deal with the aged women. Amen? Hang on to your hat. <clears throat> the aged women likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness. As becometh holiness. Now, possessing holiness uh, or a holy attitude about yourself, that's a beautiful thing. A beautiful thing. And the Bible says in uh, Psalm 29, 2, I'll read it here. Given to the Lord, the glory due unto his name, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Haven't you ever just read that and go, man, that's the weirdest thing I ever heard in my life. You ever just read that and go, the beauty of holiness. That's weird. But there's something about the holiness of God that's a beautiful thing. Beautiful thing. He said, well, how do you know it's beautiful? I will said it was. <laughs> the beauty of holiness right there. <laughs> it's a beautiful thing. Uh, Psalm 96.9, the Bible says, Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Fear before Him all the earth. Of course, that's a reference into the millennial reign when everyone's in front of the Lord Jesus Christ and He's ruling with a rod of iron. Won't be too long, friends. And we'll worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Fear before Him all the earth. So when we're talking about holiness... Uh, you know, Peter says, what the Lord says in 1 Peter 1.16, Be ye holy, for I am holy. That's what he says. And Paul talks to these aged women when he says that their being behavior has become holiness. And the things we've made, uh, have made the aged women have, uh, have holiness are found in 3, 4, and 5. So interesting enough, every time the Bible makes a statement, like Paul's doing here to the aged men, and now to the age of women, it gives you an application of how to attain the thing he's telling you to do. Now I'll give you a couple things on the beauty of holiness. I'm not going to look every one of them. I'm going to go pretty quick here. I'll give you about five or six of them here, and you can write them down or just listen or whatever. But the beauty of holiness, it magnifies God. That's Psalm 96.9. It magnifies God. That's Psalm 96.9. The beauty of holiness, it acts as an antidote to the Adamic nature. It's an antidote to the Adamic nature. An antidote to the Adamic nature. That's Ephesians 4.24. Ephesians 4.24. Now all that, the beauty of holiness, it suppresses sin. It suppresses sin. The more holy you are and the more holy the Holy Spirit makes you, it suppresses sin. That's 1 Thessalonians 4.7. 1 Thessalonians 4.7. How about this one? Holiness uh, saves a sinner from reaping a crop of sin. Holiness saves a sinner from reaping a crop of sin. There might be some things you sowed out there, and the closer you get to God, he might call that thing off. He might tell your ship not to come in. <laughs> That'd be a blessing. It saves a sinner from reaping a crop of sin. That's Hebrews 12.10. Now, when you're dealing with holiness, it attracts sinners who are tired of sin. You ever stop and think about that? It attracts sinners who are tired of sin. Do you realize uh, that reference is Acts 3.12? Acts 3.12. It attracts sinners who are tired of sin. There are people in this community that are tired of their drunkenness. There are people in this community that are tired of their addiction. There are people in this community that are tired of beating their wives. <laughs> you say, what a crazy illustration. It's, I'm telling you, people are tired of sin. Sin is a terrible slave master. And when they see uh, someone living a holy life, 
You know what it does? It attracts them to you. It attracts them to you. All right, <clears throat> that's Acts 3.12, and it reinforces the promises of God. It reinforces the promises of God. That's Hebrews 12.14. It reinforces the promises of God, Hebrews 12.14. Now let's talk about real quick about these things that uh, become holiness. We've got a few minutes left here. Um, these are the applications to the aged women. And uh, fortunately, uh, the King James Bible left this passage as it is instead of changing it like the rest, uh, most new Bibles do. New Bibles mess with this passage through here. Uh, let's look and see what the aged woman is supposed to do. Verse 3. The aged women likewise, that they be in behavior, as becometh holiness, not false accusers. Amen? So they're not busybodies. Amen? They're not gossipers. Uh, they're not storytellers. Amen? They're not false accusers. Talk about the aged women now. Uh, they're not trying to step on someone below them to look better to someone above them. Now, men got a bad thing about that too, and Christianity is filled with people trying to step on other people so they look better, better to someone they think is above them. That stuff's wicked right out of the exhaust pipes of hell. Uh, but that is the problem with Christianity. But these aged women, if they're going to have behavior that becometh holiness, uh, they can't get involved with that stuff. That's right there in verse 3. Uh, then it says, uh, not given to much wine. So the older women, even though they've been through more and been around longer, they're not to be drunks. Amen? They're not to be drunk. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> and you'll notice that this is not mentioned this time in reference to a church office. We're doing all right this morning. We're just teaching the Bible exactly how it says. Uh, the last time Paul references not giving to much wine, he was dealing with church offices, wasn't he? But now it's not just, in other words, what's good for the goose is good for the gander. It's not just a church office. Like, oh, because you're a pastor, you can't, woohoo, you know what I mean? <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's both for the pulpit and the pew. Amen? There's nothing good liquor is going to get you. Nothing good at all. Nothing good at all. <coughs> So uh, uh, it's, it's not just for the clergy, not just for the office of a bishop, not just for the, the deacons. It's also rules, rules for the congregation. Rules according to who, preacher? The Bible. <laughs> Relax. All right, now look what it says next. Teachers of good things. My, my. Now here this means teaching the younger women not to lie. You see it? False accusers. How do you know that? Verse 4. Now look, the older women are not supposed to be going around trying to teach a bunch of men. Not only is that ridiculous, it will be met with every resistance possible, but that's not the biblical place. You say, well, that's sexist. No, it's not. That's Bible. Amen. <coughs> Amen, yeah, whatever. <coughs> now here, this means teaching the younger women not to lie, not to get drunk. Verse 4, that they may teach the young women to be sober. Well, you get a bunch of young'uns pulling around in your skirt, and you're, you know, trying, you might think about it. <laughs> uh, I, <clears throat> the Lord uh, allowed me to give my wife two children within uh, 11 months. I don't know, it, I don't think she was a drunk, but she might have thought about it at that time, amen? There's a lot of stress on young mothers, but still. But it says uh, that they may teach the young and be, to be sober. Look at the next one. We're about done here. To love their what? Get out of here. <laughs> You're pulling my leg, man. Are you serious? <laughs> to love, 
You mean, you, you mean you just don't say I do and, oh, I love you. Uh, no. <laughs> you ever notice that thing's got to be taught? To, to be sober? You got to teach that. To love their husbands. To love their children. Five says to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good obedience to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Uh, so the aged women are to teach these things to, to the younger women. That's quite a job, isn't it? Boy, that's quite a burden. Uh, I'm telling you what, and, and that's quite a load. You ever stop and wonder when you were a young woman, if you're not a young woman, and wonder where the older women were? I mean, you think back through your marriage, could you use a little bit of help maybe? Amen. We're living in a day and age, and you would think it would not be necessary to say that. But they have to be taught to love their husbands. They have to be taught to love their children. Say, preacher, you have you don't know what you're talking. I know. I'm just reading the Bible. I'm stupid. I get it right. Uh, but when you first get married, I mean, there's <laughs> it's not a this is not a biological lesson, but there's or there's a whole physical element that makes the attraction so great and strong, and you believe it's an unbreakable bond. But the older you get, you realize that love is a choice and love is work. And I'm telling you what, uh, you older gals need to remember this. It's your job to teach the younger women to love their husbands. And if you don't love yours, you ain't going to do it. Amen. We better stop there before we get in trouble and ruin your dinner. Amen. All right.